0: Good morning, how are you guys doing today, you guys doing good, awesome, good to see you guys, welcome all those tuning online, thanks for being with us also. Uh, welcome to The Grove. If you don't know me, my name is Eric Montoya, Pastor of The Grove, and we're thrilled you guys are here. Uh, we're in a series that's called Level Up. This is week six. So if this is your first week, or maybe you only caught the last couple, I would encourage you to go back and catch the other five, if you like what you hear today. If you don't, no worries. But if you do, I would encourage you to go catch up, because you're coming on towards the end of the conversation, which is okay, because uh, with technology, you can always go back and hear those other ones. Uh, but, and I would encourage you to do this, because this this series is probably one of the most important series we've done coming out of 2020, um, because this is what they say, that mental health is on the rise, right? They're, they're saying it's just, it's, it's kind of, um, they're, they're really concerned about it. And so what we want to do, we want to do a series on mental health, and really we're leveling up in every other life, it always starts in the mind. And so if your mind is not healthy, all the other areas of your life, they're not going to work the way they could or should. And so we're saying, let's get healthy mentally, and uh, we're challenging in that way. So whether it's financially, uh, physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, uh, like we all want to go to the next level. Well, it's going to take us to start there in the mind first. That's where it always starts to be able to get to the next level. And so the series is about that because you win or you lose all the battles in your life in the mind first before you actually encounter anything on the outside. So last week, uh, since Harry joined me for Mother's Day, we we tagged him, which was so much fun. Uh, we had our we we aired our dirty laundry, like literally, like had our dirty laundry on the, the stage. You missed it. You can watch it. But we really talked about addressing the mess and we talked about mind management. We said mind management is the thinking, the feeling, And the choosing. So, learning to manage what you think, learning to manage what you feel, and learning to manage the choice that you're making. And so, we said we have to be mindful and aware of our thoughts because they direct our lives, right? We said that emotions—they don't happen to us; they're actually created by us, which is good news. Uh, They—they find this study in the brain, right? That emotions that they they actually are created by us. The things that we're thinking, the stress hormones that we allow through our negative thoughts, actually can happen, uh, impact our emotions. So that's good news because if you create a negative motion, you can also create a positive motion. the same energy it took to create a negative one will take the, the same energy, or sometimes more, to create a new one. But the good news is you can actually manage that. Um, I didn't know this, but uh, last week we were talking about cleaning up the mental mess. And Dr. Karen Leaf was a neuroscientist. She actually has a brand new book this, this that just came out this year. It's actually called "Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. And she really wanted to do this book because coming out of COVID – she knows that a lot of people are struggling with some different um, anxiety and different toxic thinking. And so she did some new, resource, new resource, uh, research last year, and uh, she presented a lot of new information. So uh, in this book, after I learned about this week, I actually re- went and read some of it. And this is what she said in the book. She said, the events and the circumstances in the, in circumstances of life aren't going anywhere. People make a lot of decisions every day that affect us all, and suffering of some sort for you and your loved ones is inevitable. So she's saying the things in life, they're going to just happen to us. That's part of life, right? People make decisions, sometimes dumb decisions that impact us. And she says, although events and circumstances can't be controlled, we can't control what others do. We can control our reactions to those events and circumstances. And she calls this, this is mind management in action. So controlling our our, our emotions, controlling our mind, right? That's what it means to not let... The events and the circumstances control you, but you begin to say, how am I going to reframe this? How am I going to move into this? Because if we don't manage our mental mess, if we don't manage our mental mess, our life will always feel like a mess, and it will always be messy. And so we have to learn to be able to address those things, is what we talked about last week. What's interesting is she says in this book, she says that um, um, mental mess is something we'll all experience at some time, and it isn't something to be ashamed of, right? She even says that as a profession, in her profession, a professional in her profession, she starts to clean up her mind daily on a daily basis and she called it she calls it neurocycling but she calls it mind managing mind management is actually a lifestyle she says if you don't have a lifestyle negative thoughts can creep in they can overtake you and create all those negative things in our in our lives and so essentially last week we we're saying we have to deal with the messes right they were given to us for some reason we've collected them but if we never deal with them they'll actually keep us stuck at that level that we're at so let's address those those things in our lives and, and really the truth is when you don't address a problem or an issue the problem is no longer the problem so if you don't deal with the problem, the problem is no longer the problem. Now you are the problem. So if there's an issue in your life that you just keep ignoring and not dealing with, the, the problem the issue is no longer the problem. It's actually you because you're not actually dealing with it. And people get stuck in it, right? They get stuck in, their, in, their, in their, the pain of what t- took place in the past, um, and, and they, they stop there. So last week we said if you're going to do- deal with it, you have to begin to reframe. We talked about anxiety reappraisal. We talked about anchoring. Uh, that was last, last week. And we said if, if you do this, then you can expect these results. And so um, if you begin to address the mess, you'll be able to have these results. Last week, we wanted to share a story that we didn't get a chance to share, it, but it, it, it kind of sets up today's really good. Um, what, this, what happened to us is we had to address a, a difficult season in our life. Uh, so last, last year in 2020, I was talking about going through seasons of life when they can be difficult. And I made a statement. I said, for me, 2020 has not been the hardest year of my life because I've had other difficult things that we've walked through in our past. In fact, with sincerity, and I um, when we were kind of a new, kind of not, not not newlywed, but we were about five, six years into our marriage. Um, we we purchased a house about the end of 2006. If you remember the market, of 2006, 2007, it was at the highest, and then 2008 happened, right, and it crashed. Um, and and house values came down, and, and it was just well, we one of those banks that got taken over by the government that was doing all that shady stuff, right, behind the scenes there were that one of those banks was the one that loaned us the money that actually got taken over and closed down all the stuff. Well, instead of going, cause I would say you got to get in at some point, you know, it's only going to keep climbing. Well, instead of getting raises, we got pay decreases. I got a pay decrease. And so the house that we thought we could afford now we can no longer afford. And so we got into this season of just financially struggling with some debt and, uh, it was really difficult. And then, um, we got in a couple different accidents. We had to put a couple claims on our, on our insurance. And after a few of those, our insurance dropped us, and then our insurance shot up. It was, just, it was a crazy year for us uh, that year. Um, we had a, a, a new newborn. We had one toddler and then a, a newborn at this, t- at this time, about 2008, 2009. And it just got really, really, really hard. It was one of the hardest seasons of, 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 my, of my life and this season with my wife. And um, I remember we did this, right? We talked about the, the reframing. We talked about addressing, addressing what was going on. And I remember, we sat down, and she said, "Okay, Eric, you're not doing good. I can see you're struggling. Um, let's talk this out. Let's figure out what what are the next steps, because obviously, we're you know just causing us frustration. Um, I felt like a failure. Those are like the words I would use is, I just felt like I was failing my family. I felt like I just couldn't provide like, all these things. Right? Just all the this pressure. So I really felt like this weight. The weight of the world was on my shoulders, and it was it was just it was suffocating, and it just felt like it was it was, it was drowning me. And we so we talked. She okay, 'Okay, let's talk about this. So what's the worst case scenario? So sometimes.'" Talking about the worst-case scenario, it, it's not bad if you don't dwell on it for too long. If you dwell on it too, that's called rumination. If you only think about the problem without ever thinking about the solution, you can actually have, create toxic thoughts and it can create negative emotions. But if you can address it, sometimes it can help you see the bigger picture and help you actually solve it. If you'll move on and they actually uh, – Carol, Dr. Carol Leaf, she says you shouldn't, you shouldn't actually stand that for a really long time, maybe like three or five minutes, no more than that. But anyways, we talked about this, like worst case scenario. So obviously things aren't working. What can we do? So we sat down and she says, so let's talk through this. What, what's going to what's gonna happen? I says, well, worst case scenario, we lose the house. So okay, and then what? Well, we'd probably move into my parents or your parents or some family member and kind of just rebuild. She says, okay, that's not that bad. And what else? I would probably lose some other things, you know, depending on what how far it goes. And and, uh, and she says, okay, then, and what else? And we just walked through this. And, and I said, well, our credit would take a hit, right? It would obviously – would, it would It'd be more of our pride, too, a little bit, but our, our credit. And then what? It'd take about seven, eight years to build that up again to be able to maybe afford another house or do something. So we just began to walk through the worst-case scenarios, and she said, okay, what happens to us? I says, well, we'll move into somebody. We, we're still married. We still have our kids. Like our At the time, we had two, and uh, th- those are the most important things in our life, right? And as we talked through it, and I, rele- I, I, I spoke those things out, actually what happened is I said, wow. Like in my mind, the worst-case scenario actually is not the worst-case scenario in the grand scheme of things. That's actually a very small thing. Now, it was, it was difficult in that season to walk through, right, because it was really hard. But I remember as we as we talked through it, it the weight kind of left off my shoulders. And then we turned our attention to, to God and said, all right, God, we're struggling here, but you know what you have for us, so we're going to trust you. So we began to pray, we began to fast. And that season of 2009 actually led us to to to, to sense that God was saying, you guys need to come back to Santa Fe, you know, leave things down there in Rancho and work in another church and begin to prepare for what now is the grove. And we didn't know this, but... The season of difficulty actually prepared us and actually opened us up to actually ask God, "What do you want to do?" And He says, "Well, if I finally got your attention. I actually don't want you there. I want you over here. Would you follow my lead?" And He led us to Santa Fe, which is one of the greatest things. Um, and and it, it's just a great, great story. And so, in our lives, we addressed it. We kind of said, "Well, if we do these things, then we can expect these things." Right? That's what's reframing. That's what, the, what we were talking about last week. Is if you'll begin to have healthy conversations with yourself, with others, you can actually begin to address the different messes in your mind. That's really important because. Our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So in your life, you currently are in every area of your life because of the thoughts that you have – where your thoughts have taken you. So in work, in finances, in relationships, you are where you are because that's where your thoughts have taken you physically, emotionally, mentally, all the different areas of our life. So we have to begin to say, how can I make sure that I pay attention to, to my thought life and manage my mind in a healthy way? Um, This is what researchers actually tell us now. They found out when they study the brain, study the body. uh, They actually say that we're more vulnerable to disease when we have toxic thoughts. So toxic thoughts, they say, are responsible for 90% of all illness. So when you get sick, they say actually toxic thoughts open you up. You're more susceptible to sickness, to disease when you have toxic thoughts for 90%. That's a crazy number. So in your life, your thoughts – Negative thought, toxic thoughts actually impact. They say, they actually believe that 5 to 10% of disease is believed to come with genetic factors or environmental factors. 5 to 10. That's a pretty small number compared to that 90%. Like it still happens. We understand people get sick. And when they say about disease, they're talking about, um, um, like heart disease, uh, cancer, diabetes. This is the 90% they're talking about. That A lot of people have that because of the way they think and how they set their mind up. They're more susceptible. So when you have toxic thoughts, your immune system is suppressed and it's weaker, so you're more susceptible to actually um, – to catch those things. Because what happens is when there's a toxic <clears throat> uh, a thought process, your body releases <clears throat> excuse me, stress hormones such as cortisol and homocysteine, which, which causes your immune system to be suppressed. Um, in fact, whenever somebody gets a transplant, like a, a kid, like a some kind of organ transplant, doctors now will give them a uh, um, they'll actually prescribe to them a stress hormone because it'll it'll slow down their immune system so it doesn't reject the new thing. Because if you had a healthy immune system, your body'd be like, that's a foreign thing. I don't think I want that, and you'd reject it. But if you suppress the immune system, now it can kind of allow it to slowly integrate with your system. That's how how. How much stress in our life can cause negative impacts in physically, right? emotionally, and it even impacts our brain. So the mind is the non-physical part of us, more of a spiritual part. It's not the brain, but it does interact with the brain, which actually negative, negative thoughts that we dwell on actually make our, our brain unhealthy. And so the reason we're talking about this is because, as, as, as Dr. Karen Leaf says, it's, it's not so much that it's on a rise. It's because it's not that all of a sudden mental health is, 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 um, is out of control. She says it's mind management that's out of control. People don't know how to manage their thoughts and manage what's going on in this world. So they let their, their thoughts take over, and they open themselves up to more issues and more problems. And so for us, we're saying if we want to be healthy, it's got to start with the mind. It's got to start with the things that we're thinking about. So Paul tells us in Romans 12, he says this, So don't, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Thank you. Don't, don't fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. So Dr. Carolyn Leaf read this scripture years ago before she, when she was starting to study um, neuroscience, and, and what she was being taught in school was as as there's a certain age as you grow up that your brain becomes fixed and you cannot change you can't change after a certain age you're stuck with that so whatever you are and she's reading this she's thinking, well the Bible doesn't say that the Bible says something so Caroline said she's a Christian a Jesus follower and she's trying to reconcile scripture with what she's seen in science she said, there has to be something different and what they're saying is your your brain fixed you can't change things. And so she began to say, I, I, don't, this is the, I don't do more research and study. So her, her colleagues actually mocked her because she, some of the things that she, she was saying, I think we can change the brain. I think we can make an impact people's lives. So she began to work with people that had brain injuries and people that um, – even autism and things like that, different, different things like that, and began to work with them to how to, how to work on their, their, their mind management. And what was interesting is one of the girls that had, had brain damage that they never said she'll never you know, really do much, she actually was able to, to graduate and get a degree – And it's a pretty cool story. And then they begin to say, whoa. And this is like, have you heard this term neuroplasticity? Like the brain actually is moldable? Like she's part of that research that actually discovered, like, no, we're not stuck with what we have. We can actually change our life. And it's partly because of the scripture that she read. But Paul's saying, fix your attention on God. Don't just go with culture. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So Paul is saying, make sure that we, we pay attention to what we're thinking about. We don't just fit in with culture. We don't just go with the flow, but learn to be able to say what is happening in this situation. And he ties it to maturity. He's saying, in your life, and this is what Scripture is always pointing to, is we have to be able to, he says, don't conform to the patterns of the world. Right? But be transformed in the way you think. Learn to level up in different areas of your life. And you do this by controlling, managing your mind and your thoughts, right? So today I want to talk about the next – for week six, I want to talk about big picture thinking. Here's, here's the next thing I want to think about to help us and challenge us is um, when we don't have big picture thinking, we only have small picture thinking. We only can see the immediate, right? So feelings, feelings always creep in, and if we're not careful, feelings can cause tunnel vision. Like, for example, if you cut yourself or you break an arm, break a bone, um, all your attention is not going to be on what's going on in the world. It's going to be on the pain that's in your body, right? Pain always causes us to look – it causes us to be selfish, and that's not in a negative way. It just causes us to care for ourselves, like to address the pain. Well, the same is true with our emotions and things that have taken place. When somebody has has had something happen to them that caused pain, all they can focus on is the pain, and it keeps them stuck. Right? It, it's it's a um, like for for example, another maybe example would be a baby. So. When you, when you have our, all four of our kids, at, some, at one point they were a baby, they would cry, right, when they were dirty. They would cry when they were hungry. They would cry when they were lonely. They would cry for all these different reasons, and you don't know – at first you don't know what the cry is about. Like, what are you crying for? I'm holding you. I fed you. You're like, what in the world? Then you pa- tap them. They burp. You know, like, oh, now they stop crying. Sometimes they cry because they have little gas inside their body, and they're trying to get it out. All kinds of reasons they cry, right? But notice that when babies – after you change their diaper, or after you feed them, they don't say, like, thank you. Wow, that was so good. And the next day, they don't, they're not grateful. Right? They, don't, they don't understand the process because they're immature. They can't see the big picture. They only see the small. And then a few hours later, what do they do? They cry because they're dirty. They cry because they fed. And They're not mature enough to know, hey, my mom took care of me yesterday. I think she'll take care of me again. I'm not going to cry. I'll just wait for her to take care of me again. No, they cry to let us you know something's wrong, right? So with the baby, that's not a problem because they're immature. They're young. They're, they have to learn. Now, when you're an adult and you have those same tendencies and you do the same thing, people would say, there's a problem, Right? There's something going on that's not correct. Why? Because there's a process that we should mature in life and grow up. So essentially, a mature person sees the big picture, the ultimate, or an immature person only sees the immediate. And in our culture, too many of our of, uh, people in our world are so mature, they only focus on the now. They can't see the bigger. So they go for the immediate, the quick fix. They go for the high. They go for whatever it is that's in front of them because they can't see the larger picture of the outcome. Dr. Miles Monroe, he says, the person who cannot see the ultimate always becomes slave to the immediate. The person that can't see the big picture, they always come become slave to the thing that's in front of them. This is where addictions start. They don't think of the big story. They only think about the now, the, the immediate gratification. So in our culture, to become a mature person means you have to uh, push away that immediate gratification. And you have to have delayed gratification, right? So now my kids are a little older. If they cry and whine about being dirty or, or not eating, we're like, hey, bud – you're a teenager, you can go make yourself some food because they're maturing and realizing that they have control in their life to do things. They don't have to wait for somebody. Now, if we want them to stay immature, we do everything for them. We allow them the wine. We allow them the cry. But as parents, we want to help them grow up. So we help the process to help them to understand that they can do these things. So a mature person sees the big picture. An immature person only sees the the small. And if if you're not careful, you become a slave to the small. So Romans uh, Paul <clears throat> Paul writes in Romans to the to, to church in Rome, and he's writing to them and he's telling them. Um, so the, the book of Romans is an incredible book. The first eleven chapters are theology, and then the, the, the rest of the chapters are, are really the practical steps of how to do that. And he's writing to this church, these believers in Rome. And he's saying, guys, be careful how you live. Like there's what you do is connected to the outcomes and the things you'll you'll see in your life. And so it, in Romans one he says this: the wrath of God being revealed is being revealed from heaven against all godliness. Godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So they're choosing to do wicked, right? They're suppressing truth. They're doing. They're choosing what to do wicked. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So he's saying people, all, all people, and, and we know this. Most people, they believe there is a God. There's a small percentage of people that don't. They don't. And that's their choice. But most people, they they. They might not maybe believe he, he interacts with us or he's, he, he, we can talk to him. But they do, they, a lot of people do believe some, somebody created – this is a creation, right? It's created, and, it, and he's saying um, God's made it plain to them. In fact, he says since the creation of the world, God's invisible, b- invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuses. So he says, Paul's saying, for all those who are always questioning God, his invisible qualities are all around us all the time in creation, in nature. Now science, as you look at DNA and the structure of how it's made up, right? It's a code. They, they now say, wow, each of us have this, this unique code that, that describes us. The DNA, the discovery DNA is pretty awesome. It's not, you're not a mistake. Like there's a design, a unique, distinct design to you that makes you you. That's different from me. And it's, it's God who, who created all these things. And now with science, I love it because science is finally catching what the Bible's talked about, how awesome God is, how he created us so unique and and, and intricate. It's awesome. So Paul's saying, there's not a single person that's with an excuse saying, I didn't know there was a God because of how he made us and what's going on around us. But he goes on and says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So their choices to do what they want, immediate gratification, an immature person, led them to do foolish things and to have a darkened heart. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. So instead of having the God's image, they, they began to worship images that look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So essentially they made up their own gods. And really when you make up your own god, you're really just worshiping yourself because you are worshiping a version of what you would like the world to be like, which is you, right? And so they worship other idols. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual imp- impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So it always turned into this sensual thing that it's, it's about the immediate, right? I want to feel good now. I'm just going to go there. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Notice, they, they chose a the lie over the truth, and they worship and serve created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So Paul calls us the downward spiral of society. He calls it the, it's the downward spiral of what takes place in our life. When we ignore God. And notice where it starts. This is where it starts. He says, although they they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks. They were ungrateful. They were unaware of what he was doing. And because of this, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when they were ungrateful and they didn't recognize what God was doing, their thinking became dark and futile. And it led to, to negative consequences. So Paul in the first 11 chapters, he's talking about theology, who God is. The impact when we don't when we don't understand how, how things work, and then going to Romans twelve he says this this is the verse central verse, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's saying if you if you don't want the downward spiral in your life here's how you break this, how you break out of this here's how you change you you, have, you can't just go with the, the pattern of this world you can't just go with what feels good you have to be transformed by renewing your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is His good pleasing. And perfect will. So people are always like, sometimes ask, like, what is the purpose of my life? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, God, Paul says, when you understand that your renewing be changed, your mind and your thinking be renewed renewed and changed, you'll actually be able to know and approve and test what God's will is for your life. And his will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. How many of you guys would like a life that's good, pleasing, and perfect? That's what we're saying. When you follow him, he's going to lead you to those places to make a difference. But you do this not by conforming, but by breaking the pattern. So he's saying it starts in the mind. We can't just let our minds just just lead us into dark places. So Paul's saying, if you don't know what God's will is, make sure it's attached attached attaches it to being thankful. In fact, First Thessalonians, he tells the church in Thessalonica, he says, Rejoice always, which means like live joyfully, right? Have joy, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Everybody say all circumstances. All circumstances. He says give thanks in all circumstances. So twenty twenty, yes. COVID year? Yes. Give in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do so you know God's will for you? It's to give thanks in all circumstances, to live with joy, to pray always, and to give thanks in all, in everything. Give thanks. Learn to be persistent in prayer, and in any situation, no matter what circumstance, be thankful and give, and continually give thanks to, to God. Paul's saying this is God's heart. In, in the Psalms, over and over, the Psalms say this uh, about, about God's goodness, right? It says, enter his gates of thanksgiving. And his course with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. So the psalmist is always reminding us, over and over, all the psalmists are saying, God is good. Don't forget to, to acknowledge who God is. Don't forget that. The, don't forget the bigger picture. And Ephesians says Paul tells us in Ephesians, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, make sure in every situation you understand. This is big picture thinking, that even though when you're going through something difficult, there's, there's something out – there's a larger story that's going on that you can be thankful for, that you can begin to see the positive. So Dr. Karen Leaf, in one of her books, she talks about having an attitude of gratitude, that one of the mindsets that really helps us to be healthy is having a gratitude mindset, that we're able to, to be aware of, of um, the things that we do have, not just aware of the things that we don't have. So she says this. She says, count your blessing now. Your blessings now makes it easier to recognize them later, because your mind will get better and better at the process of building a positive and grateful mindset. The more good you see in your life in the now moments, the happier and the more successful you are likely to be in the future. So, how you manage your mind now actually impacts your future. So, in this in this chapter of gratitude, talking about gratitude mindset she tells about this study in Japan. They wanted to study some some older individuals in Japan. And so they got a few thousand together and they they did these tests and asked all these questions. And then 13 months later, there was a good percentage of them that died. And they began to to compare the results. And what they found, the word they call is ikigai. Ikigai means like this this meaning for living, this purpose for life. So the adult, these older uh, Japanese that had ikigai, this meaning for life, they actually lived longer. And the ones that, essentially didn't that that maybe complain that we're frustrated with life all those things they died younger in fact uh carol lee said in the first time in modern history our age the longevity of life actually has reverted people are now dying sooner than some of our predecessors for the first time in modern history even though there is more medicine there's more things and she says the the sad part is all of these a lot of these diseases are preventable like they don't have to die because they could have made better choices and not to do certain things and her thing is Mind management is one of the most important things. If we don't learn to manage our mind, we open ourselves up to a lot of disease, a lot of sickness, a lot of things like that. And we know this as, as Jesus followers, that when we do this, when our mind is not healthy, we actually begin to believe the lies of the enemy more often. And we get stuck. So if somebody does something to it, it hurts us, and we hold on that pain, right? And, and, it, and, it, and it, it keeps us stuck at that level of life. Some people, emotionally, they're arrested, and they've been, they've been st- stuck at a level for a long time because they're not willing to address what has gone on? Now, we don't minimize that. We know people go through painful things. It's not saying it, 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 it's okay to happen. It's saying, despite the fact that it happened, what are we now going to do with those things? So uh, here's, here's some questions I want to ask you when you, um, if you want to know if you have an attitude of gratitude. First one is this. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Are you aware of the moments where you're thankful for something? Like in your day, do you have these moments where you're like, wow, I'm really grateful for that? and know you're aware of it. Second thing is, do you count your blessings or focus on what's missing. So on a daily basis, when you're talking about thinking about things, do you think more about the things you have? Or do you tend to think about the things that you don't have? Are you grateful for what's in front of you and the food you just ate? Or are you like, man, I really wish I could have what those people had. Man, I really wish I can drive that car. Or do you say, wow, I'm grateful that I have this car. And I'm going to take care of this car. And, and honestly, if you manage that one, you'll probably get a better one eventually because that's how God works. But learn how to count your blessings more than focusing on what's missing. The third thing is, are you thankful or whiny? So are you mature or are you immature? Do, do, you, do you tend to whine about things and complain about things, or are you thankful? Are you, are you able to, to be aware of those? I, in fact, I would even say, uh, if you want to track this, just for seven days, maybe in your phone on a piece of paper, just write down those thoughts, whether it was a negative thought like towards something in life or, or if it was a grateful thought, and compare, like, am I more thankful or do I tend to be more immature and whine about things more often? It's an awareness of where you recognize, wow, I'm, I'm, I have some unhealthy things in my mind. I need to work on those things. Number four is what words come out of your mouth most often? Are they negative words? Are they, if somebody – if you have to do a project at school or at work and they ask you a question, do you focus on the negatives of what you didn't do or you couldn't accomplish? Or do you tend to be like, well, I got these things done. I still have this to work on, but it will eventually get done. Or are you kind of like, I didn't get to do this and all everything was against me and my dog ate my homework, Right. Do you make excuses, or do you tend to see the positive what you have done? And then number five is: Are you able to think before you speak? Are you able to Are you able to stop yourself from saying something really foolish? So uh, years ago, since and I were having this conversation, and uh, it, it was it was like just a normal conversation, and it escalated and turned into like a full blown argument pretty quickly. And it was my fault because here's what happened: We're talking, and she says something that kind of like. I don't know if she was just intentionally, but, you know, you say mean things to each other sometimes when you're kind of just a little frustrated. And she said something that wasn't horrible, but it kind of like it bugged me. And so at the moment, I just I spoke this word. Right? I could have chose like five or ten different words, but I chose the one that was going to hurt. And when I spoke it, I can almost see it leaving my mouth, like going to her. And I'm like, no, come back. I didn't mean it. And as soon as it left, the conversation went from conversation to argument. What? (laughs) Let's have a conversation. (laughs) And so we... It went up. It was my fault because I wasn't able to control what I said. If I would have chose any of the other words besides that one, the conversation would have continued. And we could have worked through this disagreement, this misunderstanding. It was probably just a misunderstanding. It was probably some kind of expectation that she was hoping for, and I wasn't meeting it, right? But instead of something saying something that would have just kept the conversation going... I said something that was hurtful, and it caused the thing, and then it caused more issues the rest of the night. And it's like, great, now, now I've got to eat alone and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Sleep alone is just horrible, right? So it impacts us. Um, in fact, uh, currently, if she says that, they call it the regret zone. Um, so when you have emotions, when, you, when somebody does something that makes you angry and makes you upset, uh, somewhere between 30 and 90 seconds, there's this, this window that if you're not careful – You'll let the emotions speak for you. That's why she calls it a regret zone, because usually when we speak in that time frame with our emotions, not with our, with our, uh, our thoughts and composure, we say something that we regret. I regretted that moment. In fact, I even, I even try to like stop them, like, you know, I said that, but I should have said this. And it was too late at that point, but eventually we worked through it and we got over it and, and it goes on, right? And then I'm sure, you know, we'll always, those things pop up every now and then. But it's learning to be able to say, can I speak about this? Can I, can I, can I think about what I'm about to say? Can I focus on the big picture? In fact, they, they say that if, if you if you have any difficulty seeing the big picture because of the pain, because of the frustration, the anger, if you close your eyes, it will actually allow you to kind of zoom out mentally, and you can actually see the bigger picture, not just the small detail that's in front of you. See, if, if you close your eyes and you, you, you begin to maybe even control your breathing a little bit before you say something, this would be a good practice. If you want to say something really dumb, just close your eyes and be like, okay, let's think about this. This big picture, I'm about to say something really dumb, right? How do I want the rest of the night to go? How do I want my future to go? So in my relationship with sincerity, our goal in our marriage, this is this is our goal, right? Is that when our kids leave the house, we'll be more in love with each other when they leave than when we first started. That's our goal. We have a stated goal that's saying this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is the direction we're going. Because we know if we don't have a set goal, we're not going to ever get to that thing that we're working for, which takes a lot of work. If it doesn't happen on accident. It means, it means that we invest in each other. Well, if I close my eyes and think about we're in, this, we're in this heated moment, I'm about to say something that's going to be hurtful and harmful to this relationship, is that going to accomplish my goal? No. So small thinking is who cares? I want to just feel better. I want to win the argument. Big thinking is you might win the argument, but you just lost the relationship. You might have been proving yourself right, but you just lost the opportunity to have a healthy dinner, right, and a fun dinner and a good dinner. Now it's cold and not tasting so good, right? you your fault. So in those 30 to 90 seconds, the regret zone, how can I pause and say, help me to think big picture, not just small picture? Because if you, if you, if you miss the big picture, you'll only focus on the tree that's in front of you. You'll miss the big story of all the, of the woods that's out there. And in life too often, we focus on just what's now. and We miss the outcome. This is why Jesus came. Cause he's saying the story of your life is not just now it's eternity. It's not just 70, 80, 90 years on earth. It's eternity. You're created for a purpose. Ecclesiastes says God put eternity in our hearts, that there's something about us that says I'm made for something big. But if you're small picture thinking, you're only saying I want to live for the moment. I'm going to just do what feels good. I'm going to do what's in front of me. God is saying you can't live that way. That's what an immature person does. That's what a baby does because all they know is hunger and dirty diapers. At some point, you have to grow up and realize maturity means you feed yourself you take care of yourself. You look out for others. Immature people raise other immature people. Mature people begin to help others become mature themselves. So close your eyes. Calm down. Focus on the big picture. And Paul says one of the ways you do this is by being grateful. Have an attitude Of gratitude. In fact, in Philippians, he says this. He says, don't be anxious about anything. So don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? Thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. So in life, whenever you're faced with some kind of situation, some challenges, don't be anxious, but in every situation, with prayer, petition, Thanksgiving, take that to God. We talk about this in the the week of the God box, right? Make sure you take it to God, but notice this with Thanksgiving, because this is big picture thinking. Like, All right, God, I'm really upset right now because of this situation, but I'm going to take this to you, and I'm going to say, what do you want to do in the middle of this? So 2009, 2008, 2009, when we're struggling, like, God, this is not fun. I don't like this. You know, I I thought I'd be getting raises, not pay cuts. I can't afford this stuff. I'm drowning in debt. This doesn't feel good. In the the immediate, I'm frustrated. I'm upset. But when when I close my eyes and say, God, what do you want to do? It's big picture. Now, looking back, I understood what God was doing because I, I see his hand in the process of leading us and turning something that was negative into something really positive. We learned from it. We grew from it. We became better as a couple through it. But in those immediate moments, sometimes we don't feel that. And Paul's saying, don't be anxious. In every situation with Thanksgiving, and then he says when you do this, notice what happens, the peace of God. He even says what's trans-understanding. Some people think you're crazy. You ever met somebody who's going through something difficult, maybe cancer, maybe something in the family? And they have peace, and you're like, how do you have so much peace? Because they turn it over to God. He says, even people won't understand, they'll think you're crazy, but they'll guard your hearts and they'll guard your minds in Christ Jesus. And he, notice what he says these heart and mind, guarding those things are really important because those things will creep in, toxic thoughts will creep in, and they'll make you sick, they'll make you focus on the things you shouldn't. And Paul, when he says this, he has probably the most credibility to say this on anybody. Why? Because when he's writing this letter, he's in a Roman prison, he's been beaten. He's been threatened to be killed over and over. He's been stoned. His life has been plotted over and over to, to, to take him out. And he's in prison. And we see this is towards the end of the letter. But throughout the whole thing, he's saying, guys, learn to focus on what God is doing. Learn to see the bigger picture. Paul had an attitude of gratitude that no matter what took place, he can see that God was still working. And he tur- chose to turn any situation over to God saying, God, you want to do something? I'm just trusting you. I'm on the, I'm on the ride. I'm on the journey with you. So if it's hard, if it's easy, I say, yes, let's do it. I follow your way. And he invites us to follow his example. He says, when you you have Thanksgiving, when when you have an attitude of gratitude, and you take it to God, the peace of God will be with you. It will guard your hearts and your minds. I love that neuroscience is finally catching up with the Bible. All along, God's been telling us, hey, you want to be healthy? Be thankful. You, You want your hearts and your minds to be focused on the right thing? Have gratitude. Take it to God. Help him, allow him to help you see the big picture. And then he says this, Philippians 4, he says that, that he follows up. He says, finally, after he says those statements, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Notice there's nothing negative on that list. It's all positive. If there's anything that's good in your life, think about such things. So you say, said, avoid rumination to think about the problem, think about the solution. In your life, instead of focusing on what doesn't work, begin to say, man, this is really nice. I woke up today and, wow, I have lungs in my air. I can live another day. Lungs in my air? Air, <laughs> breath in my lungs. <laughs> Learn to control your mouth. Yeah, so <clears throat> I have breath in my lungs. I get to live another day. I'm glad you're paying attention. That's really good. <laughs> think about these things what is working as, as a pair to what's compared to what's not working you know uh yesterday my wife and i we went to a funeral for a high school friend um she's about our age she was a nurse in albuquerque and uh she got killed by a drunk driver so tragic tragic event and um uh, for the last couple of weeks uh as as all this details have come out it's been just just been heartbreaking just to see this um her family and uh her kids, and uh, just it's just it's really difficult. But in the funeral, in the service yesterday, um, family members, friends, they talked about about her and the impact she made. She loved Jesus. That was very clear. Everybody, that was like the first thing they said is this 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 woman. She loved Jesus. She served others. She cared for others. And so in the funeral, we laughed. We cried. We reflected a lot. I reflected a lot. I heard her legacy and it was pretty it was awesome. At one moment the church is really it, a lot of people were there. And one of her friends stands up and says, "Hey, if, if if she was here for you in a dark moment, would you and she encouraged you and walked you through and prayed for you, would you stand?" I'm like, "I don't know." Maybe a third of the room, half of the room stood up. Like she had an impact. She loved people. She cared for them. One of the nurses that worked with her, she she spoke and she says, "You know what? She was, she was reflecting on this whole situation and she kind of made this comparison. She said, um This lady was an example of how to be be, um, a servant, how to love others, care for others. And the person that took her life and lost his life was almost the extreme opposite. It was a mature person versus an immature person. And really, for me, as she was talking about that, I thought, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? Do I want to leave a a legacy of a a mature person that helped other people become mature, that lived with the big picture thinking? Or do I want to just live like a small, like, I just want what's for now. I want to just live for now. I want to have fun right now. And that's the kind of challenge that lady gave is we should live with big picture thinking of saying, in the grand scheme of things, does this really matter? So sometimes in maybe arguments with our spouse or with other people or conversations that are not going the right way, in the grand scheme of things, does this really, really, really matter? And most of the time, if we're honest, it doesn't. You're going through something really small. When we, when we looked at the house, we said, so what, what's the worst thing? We lose it, right? We have to work up our, build our credit up again. We have to work through things like that. At the end of the day, those are just things. What really matters is the people that I live with after the relationship. So I'd rather have a healthy relationship with my wife than have a nice house. I'd rather have a healthy relationship with my kids than just have a lot of stuff. And if we're honest, we let the stuff become more important than the people around us. That is small picture thinking. Big picture thinking says, in the grand scheme of things, our relationship is so much more than just what I want in the moment. Do you ever get frustrated because people don't do something for you and you're kind of like, man, they should be taking care of my needs and they don't ever listen for me and, man, I want this. And if you're not careful, you get those thoughts to overtake you and it all becomes about you and in the workplace or at school or in the family. Why is nobody else taking care of me? That's an immature person that only focuses on self. I'm not saying your needs shouldn't be taken care of. That's not the point. You should talk about expectations. You should talk about things with with people that you can trust. But if you only focus on that, me, 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 that's what a baby does. And at some point we have to grow and mature and let God work in our lives that we can see the big picture. And that's the process God wants to take us through. And spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally, he wants to help us grow and become, go to the next level. So, if you're on level one, God wants you to go level two. If you're on level fifty, He wants you to go level fifty-one. If you're on level hundred, whatever that level is that you're on, in whatever area of your life, He wants you to go to the next one. And honestly, for we're honest, we're on different levels in different aspects of our life. Some of you might be really strong at finances, but really weak at relationships. Big picture, what matters more? Having a lot of money or having healthy relationships? Hopefully, it's like both, right? Well, then do both but don't do one to the neglect of the other. You have to learn to say, what's the most important thing? How can I have big picture thinking? So for us today, our challenge is this. Would you find something to be thankful for in every situation, every single day? I'm thinking, well, I don't have a lot to be thankful for. Are you crazy? You have a ton to be thankful for. Count your blessings over and over and over. I think there's a worship song counting, talking about counting your blessings, right? Pretty great song. Learning to count your blessings. Have not an attitude of gratitude is a choice you have to choose it for yourself for some of you it means you have to start writing this down I bet if you start writing a list so I heard a story about this a couple who was struggling in marriage and uh, the wife wanted to go to a counselor and the husband didn't and so eventually she's like well if you're not going, I'm going to go we're struggling we need to do something so they go and the whole time the wife's complimenting at the husband and the counselor's like you know we can't help your husband he's not here let's not talk about him let's talk about you what are you talking about? He's the problem. He's like, No, no, let's talk about these things. So after a while she he realized that this lady could only see the problem. And he says, Well, tell me something. Why did you marry this guy? He sounds like a real jerk. And <laughs> she's like, Well, he wasn't He was really nice in the beginning. Well, why? And she began to go through this list of like these things, right? And I said, Well, what's good about him now? Said, what do you mean it's good? Nothing's good about him now. She said, No, no, fine, tell me one thing. Well, he loves our kids. He's a really good father. What else? And she gonna name a few things. And he says, Here do me a favor, for the next week, just take a list of paper, you don't have to tell me what you're doing, but just every time you think of something that you really appreciate, you liked, maybe in the past, or even that you liked now, write it down. And a couple of months passed by and this counselor was like, I haven't seen this lady, what's going on? And he runs in there and says, hey, how are things going? She's like, you'll never believe it. Our marriage, we've worked things out, it's going really well, and he says, what happened? And she says, well, I realized that all I can see was the negative. And it took me a while to kind of see the big picture and I realized that a lot of those things, yeah, something has to change, some things have to change, but it was only the, the immediate things that were causing all these problems, and I was being selfish, and I was only thinking about what wasn't working, and the whole time, there's a lot of stuff that was working, and you know, there's the, a young man that was struggling in life, he just he just felt alone, he's just going through a lot of hard things, and his mom says, I think you need to go see the pastor, and so this young man, he goes to see the pastor, he says, Pastor, the other things are going on, I'm struggling with life, i I just don't feel God. I can't see him anywhere. I just don't think he's, he's present. Like, I just, I need help. And Pastor, son, I pray for you. I'm sorry you're going through all this. He says, but son, let me tell you something. You go through life and you can't see God anywhere. He said, I'm on the opposite side of that. I go through life and I can't help but see God everywhere. I woke up this morning, the birds were singing. And I said, wow, God, you're a pretty good creator. I got on my bed and I walked and I said, wow, God, I can still walk. I ate some breakfast. I said, "Wow, that's some good food." And the pastor said, "Son, you will always find what you're looking for in life. If you're to your do life without God, you can do it without God, but you'll always find Him lacking. If you want to see God and you want to see the positive, you have to choose to begin to look for that. It's in your life, in the workplace. If it's hard, if it's negative, I guarantee you're looking for the negative. If your marriage is struggling, yes, problems sometimes have to be solved. I guarantee you are looking and focusing only on the problem. And you don't see the forest because all you can see is that one tree that just bothers you so much. God is saying, learn to be thankful. Choose an attitude of gratitude in every situation. So the God box that we challenge you guys a few weeks to do, right? So the God box is a box where whenever you have anxiety or, or, or need, you would write that down and you put it in the box and you say, God, here, help me with this need. We challenge you guys to do this, right? So for me, my God box is a note on my phone. So whenever I have something I'm thinking about, I go write it down. as my prayer need. And I say, God, will you take care of this for me? Now, when you begin to think about it and get anxious, you're essentially taking that front of God's hands and saying, no, God, I don't trust you. I'm going to do it myself. We say, don't do that. Just leave it. let it be in God's hands. Well, here's the great thing about the God box is over time, as you put these prayers in there, at some point, you're going to go through those. You're going to pick them out and be like, wow, I prayed about that thing. And God, you answered it. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for answering my prayer. And you can begin to pull these prayer things out of your God box, and be like, "Wow, He answered that. He answered that. He answered that. He answered that." So, 2008, we're praying. 2009, we're praying this prayer: "God, get us out of this situation." And He's saying, "If I get you out of it, you're not going to learn anything from it. But I want you to get something out of it. So watch what I'm doing." And we look back now at the prayers we prayed, and everything that we thought we lost, He's now given us back that and some more. It's awesome. We thought leaving the place we are leaving was the worst thing at the time. we realized it was one of the best things for all of us. You have to do something that God has put in my heart to do for a long time. God has put something in your heart. He wants you to learn to trust him in those things. So write it down. Thank him. Realize you can trust him in every situation. Do me a favor. Just close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service say a prayer and then I'm going to invite you to maybe say a prayer if you're in this room or online and want to pray with us. Let me just pray a prayer over us, God. Thank you so much for each person that's in this room, each person that's watching online or tuning in. God, I thank you that you, um, you are always doing something in our lives, all around us, all the time. God, help us to be big picture thinking people. God, that we would choose to look at the big picture. We choose to think about eternity. We choose to think about the impact and legacy that we're going to leave behind and not get focused just on the immediate Uh, on what's in front of us or what we want in the moment. Help us to look beyond that. Help us to learn to to manage our minds in a healthy way that we would not let toxic thoughts overtake us. God, But we'd get help, we'd reach out for help, God. I pray for those in in this room or watching that they have mental challenges, God, that they would address those things and get help and reach out to people so they can begin to process those things. God, I pray for each of us, God, whatever level it is that we're at in life and the different areas of life, that we wouldn't get stuck. We won't let the pain that somebody else caused us to keep us there and focus only on what's not working. We become people that are mature and grow up because we can see maybe something you're trying to do in the middle of it. We trust you for those things, so God, we turn our attention. To you ask for your help, ask for your guidance, ask for your leading. Work in our lives, God. Help us to become more and more like you. And would you keep your eyes closed, and your head bowed today as we give an opportunity for those in this room or online to? As I talked about this, you know, following Jesus, it's a a relationship. So being a Christian means you follow God's example, right? You're Christ-like. Well, that starts by saying, I'm going to trust you, God, to be the Lord of my life. I'm not going to keep doing my own thing. There's a word the Bible uses called repentance. Repentance means that when you're going in the wrong direction, away from God, you stop. You have a change of heart, change of mind, and a change of direction. That you turn around, you do a U-turn, and you go towards God. You begin to follow his lead. So today if you're in this room or you're watching online and you're going the wrong way and today you want to say god i want to stop i want to go your direction i'll go your way i want to follow you and you would like to make that decision today it's a turning point that you would say yes to him and no to the immediate yes to him and no to the selfishness yes to him leading you being god and no to the things that you've been doing if that's you today would you let me know you're here by lifting your hand I won't call you to the front but just lead you in a prayer right there in your seat awesome let's see if you have anybody else so good online if you're watching you want to pray with us also and lead you in a prayer for you that raise your hand would you pray this prayer with me and if you're a Jesus following this room would you pray with those that are raising their hands and are praying alone say this today say Father God today I turn my life over to you I want your help I want to follow your lead. Thank you for sending Jesus to give us an example of how to live. Thank you for letting him die on that cross in my place. I confess him as Lord in my life. I believe he was raised from that grave. I could put my trust in him. Help me have a new start. I say yes to you today. Forgive me, my past, my choices. Today, I say yes to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate all those that pray that prayer. So good.